So glad you could join us tonight. And I just want to welcome you and let you know that Bishop and I love all of you and miss you bunches and look forward to just seeing your wonderful faces. The church is just ready. The building's been sanitized and every eyes you could think. And the pews have been clean and the carpets and the whole place is shining. So God's ready to welcome you back into his house. And as you know, the church is right here in you. Amen. So make sure that your house right here is welcome and uh, open for everyone too. And we thank God tonight for the opportunity to come together via live stream. And there are a few here in the sanctuary. And I just want to shout out, hey, welcome. And... Uh, just to let you know that this is a good time. It's a great time to be alive. So many, we've gone through the virus season and, you know, we live to talk about it. Some went home to be with the Lord. And uh, I just want to encourage you in this season that God is up to something big and he's getting us ready for that next wave of uh, harvest. So I wanted to spend tonight... Uh, looking at something a little different. And I wanted to make it more Bible study time, so you will be looking at John chapter 8. But first, I would just love to pray over the moms tonight. And I had an awesome Mother's Day. Uh, we went and got some takeout. I think that is the standard way our moms are cooking. I've done a lot of cooking, which is just wonderful. I'm kind of liking it. And... Uh, so we just got to just sit and relax again today and just count our blessings. But I want to pray over the moms tonight because uh, we work hard and we love hard and we play hard and all of those good things. And so moms, uh, this is for you. But first, I want you to see a little clip that I found. It says, what would you say to your mom? And think about it. Some of you, mom's gone home to be with Christ, but what would you say to mom if she was standing there? Amen. And so that's when the heavy, heavy cocaine abuse came in. Nope, wrong And one. I just wanted to disappear. Wrong one. Um, I remember just lighting that pipe and just nope. looking forward to that hit. Can you shut that All of a sudden, off? I heard my I ears just that. ringing really loud. Okay. So that's when the heavy, heavy cocaine abuse came in. Okay, and the one from this morning. Thank you. We're going to see this one too, but I see. When I move out one day, my mom will be very sad. I feel my mom's love in my heart, like, it's right here. I, I'm feeling it night, right now. Sometimes I love her, sometimes I don't. <laughs> when I'm angry, I don't. My mom is everything to me. She just is this ray of energy and sunlight and positivity. The thing that I wish I could have done more of is thanking her. Didn't matter what shape I was in, I could always come home to mom. My mom was basically the glue that held me together. When I left the Philippines, I knew that my son will be in good hands because I know my mom will take care of him. My mom is kind of smart, you know, dad's mom. If I would say like one to ten, it would be a five. 
Maybe my poor dad got the raw end of the deal, but I do remember my mother saying to him when there was an argument about something I'd done, she says, you don't want to hurt her spirit. I remember that. My mom was diagnosed with uh, a really rare disease about 12 hours before she died. So we didn't get a lot of time to, to talk or to say goodbye, but she did get to say that she loved me, which were her last words. Uh, and I cherish that. Because I have I've been able to hang on to it. I'm probably going to say to my mom, you're a wonderful person. And you're my mentor. I tie an invisible string to my heart, and she ties the same one to her heart, and it's always attached together. My mother, she struggled a lot with addiction. Sorry, I'm getting upset. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. You know, you have partners, you have friends, you have kids, um, but there is nobody else who, um, who will ever care about you as much. My son now always tells me, I love you, Mama. But for 48 years, you realize I didn't say I love you to my mom. I can think of three words. I forgive you. You were a good mom. You did really good. Thank you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Hey, Chelsea, if moms got paid, how much do you think they should get paid in a year for being a mom? Maybe a hundred dollars. Hallelujah. So there you have it. We'd make a hundred dollars a year. Awesome. Amen. But let's pray tonight over the moms. All moms. You know, some of us look back in life and wonder, well, we didn't have such a great mom or we had an awesome mom. But God only gives you one mom. Amen. So let's pray over all of our moms tonight. And I want to just say, Mom, thank you for a great job. You do. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are incredibly thankful today. And Father, we're thankful for the awesome responsibility of being a mom. And we're thankful for the hard, the ugly, the triumphant, the sweet, and the beautiful. Because in the process of being mom, Lord, we learn so much about ourselves. We learn what it is to love unconditionally, no matter the cost. Lord, I pray tonight that you would guide our steps. Make it clear to us as moms where our hands end and yours begin. And help us to let go a process that starts as soon as they don't any longer need us to rock them to sleep. Lord, teach us to guide them. Help us to learn how to encourage our kids, how to be blessings to our husbands, how to be the greatest cheerleaders they could ever know. 
Sustain us, Lord, as moms when we're weary because our strength has to be in you. And when we get caught up in a panic because our mama bear instincts rise up, help us to lay that burden at your feet. When we face unprecedented situations, increase our faith and our trust in you. Father, I pray that we be the reflection of Jesus to our families. That our children, our mates, see in us and experience the true power, God, of being loved the way you love us. Regardless of circumstances, status, or title, let us just live in your love. Father, take away anything we put upon ourselves as moms where we compare. Bless our minds to be full of satisfaction just to be loved by you. Because we love because you first loved us. And may our children come to know you, Father, and your great love more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless all the moms tonight. It's kind of a nice way to end the day is just to be prayed over and loved some more. Amen. So let us look tonight. I want to look at a woman. Maybe she was a mom. We don't know. But she certainly was in one of the oldest occupations of time. A woman broken. In John chapter 8, we see a woman caught in adultery. Probably a town prostitute. And let's look at this. Chapter 8, verses 3 to 11. Then the <coughs> scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, I just have to stop there a minute because the first thing I thought about as I was studying this is, was she by herself, Lord? <laughs> very interesting. Caught in the act, but she's the one dragged to the center of town. Praise the Lord. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse Jesus. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. 
as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped back down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. Now this is a really power-packed scripture. And it's always been a mystery because people are always wondering what was Jesus writing in the sand or the dust or the dirt? What what was he writing? Some people in their minds thought, what an odd response. And we have to understand that here was a very broken woman. Now people have said to me, how do you know she was broken? Well, healthy people wouldn't be necessarily doing that for a living. Right? Broken people think so little of themselves. And again, don't look at what you see on the outside, but on the inside, broken. And here she was, caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus had the honor of setting her free. The Pharisees really had no care in the world for her. She was an object of their trickery, trying to trick Jesus. Because let's look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Very interesting when we look at the law. It says, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife He who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. That's interesting. They didn't drag him out. They just dragged her out. And what about Deuteronomy 22? Let's look at that. Verse 22 to 24. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband... Then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so that thou shalt thou put away evil from Israel. 
If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed to a husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. Wow. So if we really look at the law, we see here that the Pharisees and the religious wanted Jesus to say, stone her. So they really weren't looking at the law because the law said, stone them, the man and the woman. But they altered the law. They altered the law. You know, a lot like what sometimes we see happening in the world today. It's okay for some to do things, but not okay for others. It's okay if so-and-so does this sin, but it's not okay if another person does that sin. Or let's go a little higher. Sometimes in our, you know, political realm, so-and-so can sin, but then the other person gets nailed because they don't have the money to influence anybody. Ooh, Dr. Cheryl. See, altering the law. They did it back then. So not much has changed today. Because this type of execution was really for both parties, not just one. In fact, I would go so far as to say that some of the very men standing there screaming, stone her, ready to pick up their stones and dead, were probably guilty of sleeping with her. And again today, that was Israel. Then today, the body of Christ, I've heard it often said, we love to shoot our wounded. We love to pick up a stone and start throwing it at hurting broken people. And the reality, saints, is we could be guilty of the same stuff. We look at somebody who has, you know, uh, killed people and we want to kill them. But the reality is we've killed people with our mouths. We look at somebody who steals and we want to condemn them and judge them. But the reality is if you took that pen from wherever you work without permission, you have stolen something. Oh, Dr. Cheryl, that's a bit much. Is it? We have to look, saints, at our motives, at our own hearts. We have to humble ourselves and get on our face and cry out and say, Lord, wherever I've missed it, just don't let me judge someone else. Leave the judging of people to God. 
And so now we look at these Pharisees. And the interesting thing here is if Jesus would have said, Stoner! If he would have picked up a rock and said, Yeah, have at it, let's stone her, they would have charged him with hypocrisy. They'd have said, You're a hypocrite. You walk around and you're always talking about mercy. And yet, if he'd have said, Don't stone her, don't do that, they would have charged him with breaking the Mosaic law. And the reality is, they altered the law. So he really wouldn't have been guilty of breaking it. But Jesus is so smart. He knew. He was the Messiah, so he knew what was in the hearts of these men. Listen, I think if we all would have been standing there, we would have known what was in the hearts of men. And so Jesus, in his brilliance, doesn't say anything. Now, how many of you know the woman was probably like, oh my gosh, I am dead. <laughs> she was probably just freaking out. But here's Jesus, calm, collected, just like he was in the boat in the storm. Right? He's always dependent on his father. He's always prepared. And when he was in the boat, he didn't have any panic or fear. And here he is again, standing there, and he has no panic, no fear, no worry. He just stoops down, and he starts writing in the, in the dirt. Now, how many of you know that's kind of neat because Everybody's got their stone ready to throw. And when he looks down and stoops down and starts writing in the dirt, how many of you know they probably were putting their stone to their side trying to lean in and see, what is he writing? I'm sure that it just threw them. It kind of took all the wind out of their sails at that point. And here's a really interesting part. One by one, they all walked away. They didn't all turn around and run. They didn't all mob together and say, hey, we need to stone her. They just were silenced because they all, one by one, dropped their stone and walked away. And I thought it was interesting that it said, and the oldest ones first. And I said, Lord, that's interesting. Why does the scripture say, and the older ones first? And the Lord just whispered in my ear and said, because they should have known better. Wow. God expects that when we've walked with him a long time, we would know better. But see, 
That spoke something to me. It said, how can you know better if you don't really have a relationship with him? How can you know better if you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a religious person? You wouldn't know because you've been doing this thing, the same old thing, saying the same old ritual prayers, doing the same old rituals, just following the rituals for so many years. You've never really gotten a relationship with the one that you do all the rituals for. Wow. And I just immediately cut up my face. I said, God, I don't want that in my life. I don't want to just do a bunch of junk. It's ritualistic. I don't want to pray at you. I want to pray to you. I don't want to position myself just comfortably. I want to be on my face in humbleness and brokenness and cry out to you. Like the other night, I woke up and it was probably, I probably, well, I didn't even have to wake up. I didn't go to bed because I was studying. But at like midnight, the Lord just prompted me as I'm studying my word and he goes, Go in your prayer closet and pray for the nations. And I'm like, Lord, okay, but I don't even know how to do this. Because I've never felt compelled to cry out to God for the nations. I pray for America. I pray for our, the body of Christ. I do that, but the nations, like, you know, and I'm talking to God and I'm saying like, Lord, you know, Jerry does that. Bishop's got a heart for the nations and he cries out for the nations and spends hours. But Lord, what do you pray when you don't really know? He said, just go do what I said. <laughs> okay. So I get on my knees and I'm in my prayer closet and I just suddenly have these sheets in front of me and he starts telling me nation names. And, and then all of a sudden I'm praying in tongues, laying my hands on these papers and all of a sudden I am just sobbing and praying in tongues and crying out for the nations. See, we have to really surrender. We have to say, yes, God, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to just do stuff because the rule book says, I want to know you. And I want to have purpose. See, the Pharisees, they should have known something, but they didn't know. They were or didn't want to know. Let's say that. They made a decision. They made a decision to not really know God. Wow. So let's look at this a minute. What did Jesus write on the ground? And you know, I'm not telling you that I know for a fact. I wasn't there. <laughs> but I know the heartbeat of God. And this is so interesting. Let's look at Jeremiah 17, verse 13. 
It says, O my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders. Oh, my mountain in the field. And another translation really blew me away. It says, those of you, my mountains in the field, that you turn away, you will be inscribed permanently in the dust. Wow. Because they have forsaken the Lord. It says in that scripture, those who turn away from you, leave you, meaning God, will be inscribed or written permanently in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. Could Jesus have written all the Pharisees' names in the dust? Could he have did just what that scripture says? He wrote their names in the dust because they had decided to turn away from God. When we get so caught up in our rituals of how we think God wants to hear us or how we think God wants to know us, get rid of it. If you're getting in prayer and all you're doing is giving him a laundry list or a grocery list, no, he's saying, you don't want to know me. You want a form of me, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There's no power in that. Some believe that he wrote their name in the dust, followed by a sin they committed. Now, I thought about that, and if I'm standing on top of and it's part of the crowd, and I'm standing, and I'm looking over at what Jesus is writing, there's a good chance I would see if he could write my name. How many of you are getting this tonight? They got busted. That's what happened. They got busted by Jesus. And they were walking away one by one in shame. How many of you know when you stand before God, you want to say, hallelujah. I did, and I did the best I knew how, Lord, what you wanted me to do. Just, I want you to be pleased. I don't want to walk away ever from him in shame. God knew it was in their hearts. And here's something really awesome. He was the same one who wrote the law and he was executing the law. He had a right to execute the law if anybody in that crowd did. 
but he chose not to. He looked at the woman and said, Go, I'm not condemning you. Sin no more. What a lesson for us, saints, to look at others in their brokenness, in their sin, and let's not stone them. Let's say, Here, how can I help? You got to change this. This ain't working. The love of God, the goodness of God. He had a right to extend that grace and mercy to her because he's the one that was receiving the death penalty for her sin. I mean, think about that for a minute. Here's all this crowd, and they're screaming and shouting stoner, and here's Jesus looking like, you got a lot of nerve. Which one of you is willing to die for her? I'm going to the cross. I know where I got to go. I'm going to shed my blood, and not just for her, but for all of you who are standing here so contrary to my word. Wow. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. See, the Bible's very clear from dust we came and to dust we return. And Jesus, in his wonderful way, was saying to them, I'm going to write something in the dust. I'm writing something on your hearts now in the New Testament because my blood was shed for you, so I'm going to write this law on your hearts. Could he have been writing something in the dirt, in the dust, that would affect us for a a lifetime. Look at Jeremiah 31, 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though, I was a husband to them, says the Lord. And look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, with all of us, after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We were created from dust. And what he's saying to us here is, I am going to write the new law, the new covenant on your hearts. And you're never going to look at people the same way. You really know when 
You've been touched by Jesus because you don't. You don't relate to people the same way anymore. You're like, wow, I even can love that person. Wow, I have compassion for hurting people. Wow, people that were annoying, you know, they might still be annoying, but I can love them. It's different. Some people look at their lives and they think, wow, this could only have been God. I was not a nice person before Jesus. You see, when Jesus was interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees on a daily basis in the temple, he had a supreme call to mercy, to justice. He's saying, in the dust, gang, if you refuse to extend mercy, you don't get any mercy. And we kind of get it in, in this day and age, too. What we sow, we reap. You sow hatred and anger and venom, you're going to reap that. You sow love. Most often, you're going to reap love. You're going to diffuse anger in people just by reaching out and loving on them. You're going to diffuse that hatred by just reaching out and loving. I want him to write on my heart this dust. I don't want him to write in that dust saying, you've turned away from me, and if I write your name in this dust, you're out of here. I want you to watch this clip because this is a reflection of a lot of what we're dealing with in the world today with uh, prostitution, uh, trafficking, human trafficking of every kind. It is a lot the same in that without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, we just are going to stone everybody. But I want you to see how Jesus gets in here and changes these sex workers' lives. And only Jesus can do this. Let's watch. And so that's when the heavy, heavy cocaine abuse came in. And I just wanted to disappear. I remember just lighting that pipe and just looking forward to that hit. All of a sudden, I heard my ears just ringing really loud. And like everything went black. Like my eyes just shut down. My eyes were wide open, but it went black and I fell back. And um, I was having a heart attack. The pain in my chest was like, my heart was going And it was like, I felt like somebody was stabbing me with a knife in my heart. But I couldn't see anything. And all I could remember was that, it, it, you know, there was nothing but blackness around me. And just, I realized, crap, I'm dying. I'm dying. And all I could remember is Jesus. That's all I could think about was God. And I saw my life literally flash before my eyes. And as I called upon his name, I just said, Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm alone. I'm sorry. And come and get me. Save me from myself. I'm sorry. And all I could do was like say sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was a prostitute. I was so ashamed. 
And the ambulance came, they took me in the hospital, and the doctor came over and said, um, do you know how lucky you are? You have a lot of drugs in your system, lady, and you're allergic to narcotics. And he's like, God's with you. And I knew, I knew that um, Jesus heard my prayer. I was in such despair and desperation. I would really cry out to God, you know. And then one night, he appeared to me in a dream. I would go into this beautiful garden and sat on the bench was the Lord Jesus. And I would go to him, we would sit, and we would just talk about, I don't even know what we spoke about, but he never, ever once condemned me. I said, Jesus, I just want to see you. I want to know what you look like. I don't care about the movies I've seen. I just want to see you. I want to talk to you, I want to see you. And so he granted my request. I had a dream of him one night. And he came to me, and he didn't look anything like any picture, any person I've ever seen before. He was the most handsome man I've ever seen, beautiful. And he came to me and went this close to my face and looked into my eyes and read me from my baby until my perfect age that I was. Everything I've done didn't say a word to me and looked at me with love in his eyes like, I love you. It was such beauty and such love that emanated from him. I was just, I fell at his feet. I was like a dead person. And believe me, at that particular point in my life, I wasn't scared of much, but I was, and it wasn't like a fear he's gonna hit me. It was like who he was who he really is and I fell at his feet and I just was I just cried and I said Lord I'm so sorry for what I've done and when I got up he'd say Helena I'm waiting for you and uh, it was so beautiful so so gentle And that went on for about six months. I, 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 I was always waiting for him to say a harsh word or condemn me, but he didn't. He said, I love you. You're healed, you're whole, you're delivered. And just like this fire was lit in me, and I just started to weep, and I just realized, God loves me. No matter what I've done, no matter all the mistakes I've made, no matter how many people I've hurt, he still loves me, and he can make something of my life. Hallelujah. Only Jesus. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter three, verse two. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. When he stoops down to write in the dirt of your life, what would he write? I want him to write, good job, Cheryl. I want him to write, you did it. You served the purpose I sent you to do. 
Take that to prayer. Lord, what would you write about my life? We are going to return to dust. But the key is, what is he written in your heart of dust? What is he written in that heart of flesh? What relationship do you have with him? Can you look at people that hurt you or that say mean things or don't do everything that you want them to do or whatever it is how you get offended, can you look and say, I'm not condemning you. I love you. I forgive you. That's what he did. That's how he lived. Writings in the dust. Ministering to broken people. Let's pray tonight. And I just want to encourage you right now to, before we pray, go grab the communion elements. If you weren't with us this morning, you can partake of the communion table tonight because we really, during this whole season of the virus, have felt the communion table was so valuable to healing, to restoration, to warring against the powers of darkness. Amen? So we're going to take communion. So go grab water and some bread, a cracker and some juice, whatever your elements are, it's fine. And Dr. Scott's going to come and share the communion table with us. Father, we thank you tonight for this word. Let us take it to our closets and really, really, God, seek your face with open hearts. Father, if we've condemned anybody or judged anyone, Man, we learned tonight, Lord, a lesson, and we ask you to cleanse our hearts. Forgive us. We want to be epistles known and read of everyone. And when they read our epistle, God, whatever you've written, let it be pleasing. And when people read of our lives or they hear of our lives, let us be a glory to your name, not someone who you would write in the dust and eliminate from your heart. Father, we want to please you tonight. So give us hearts to seek you. Give us hearts to cry out to you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dr. Scott.